How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Welcome to Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, featuring influencers, creatives, and top leaders in the Twin Cities. And now, here is our host, Steve LeBall. Hello, welcome to the second episode of Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. Uh, today we have with us several guests. We're all interrelated in some way, but that's something you'll find out as the program progresses. We have Jane Leonard from the Growth and Justice Institute. She's president Brett Buckner from OneMen.org. He's managing director. And then we have Myrta Montoya from Legal Corps. She runs the, she's the director of the program of Entrepreneurs of Color program. So welcome, everyone. And let's start with Myrta. Tell me your story. Well, I have different stories, but I want to start with this story that basically changed my, my, my life. I decided to, to leave my country, not exactly to the States. Which country? Uh, my, Peru. I am originally from Peru. And then I decided to take a vacation in India, but doing an internship, it was a kind of intern vacation. I, and I end up in India for eight months traveling around every province, almost every province, working in rural development with a small business in rural villages. And that experience just changed my mind completely because even then I didn't speak any Hindi and my English wasn't that better. So, uh, and I was a little bit, People thought that I was uh, uh, from that country because I look kind of Indian too. Ah. So, but it was a very interesting perspective that basic needs, basic questions, same feelings are the same, even if I travel so far away as this country. And then I end up in New York, and now I am here in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> okay, by way of India. So you didn't find your guru on the way. No. <laughs> okay, well, that search continues. Now, Brett Buckner, tell me your story. Northsider, born and raised on the streets, you know, I say. Um, but I had a chance to get away for a little while uh, to experience another part of the country. Um, went to school in Hampton University. I changed my life, um, historically black university. And I started to realize that we can actually participate at the highest levels as um, Douglas Wilder was elected governor just a few years earlier um, before I got there. And, you know, the, the town of Hampton was led by people of color, black people mainly. And, but we had a military base. Langley Air Force Base was literally a mile and a half away. Um, and you saw um, how communities, when working together, across lines for the betterment of the society. And, again, that's a heavy military base out there that um, we actually can make some magic happen. So when I came back home and realized how disconnected we were, I, uh, kind of, my life's kind of changed and it took a little while for me to get to this realm of um, 1MN um, dealing with the issue of um, economic equity. Matter of fact, we never called it that back then. We just called it right back <laughs> then. Um, that now we have a chance to do something amazing. And you know, I'm lucky to partner with a great friend here, with Growth and Justice, with Jane Leonard and, and the crew to um, 
put some things together on behalf of our society. Well, you know, talking about all those military bases, I was sure you're going to say you joined the military. I, you know, for about three minutes there, I thought about <laughs> joining um, um, the Army ROTC. Actually, a good number of my friends were either Naval or Army ROTC, and um, I looked at what they had to do, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I, I like my, you know, 1030 class. I'm good. <laughs> so stayed stayed the course. Okay. Just, just a little bit of my story just before we get to Jane. Yeah, I was raised on military bases, so mm. I kind of have an affinity. But <laughs> yes. I, I figure I served then until the age of 13, so I didn't have to join up. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, Jane. Jane wanted. Hi there. Yeah, um, I guess I have a lot of story points. I think it's because I'm a former journalist, but um, – ah. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, in relation to what we're talking about today, I think, um, just my own background of growing up here in Minnesota, like, like Brett, I was born in Minneapolis. Um, but I quickly moved off to, uh, spend a lot of time with my grandparents on their farm in Mille Lacs County. And then my parents yanked us out of Minnesota at age four to, uh, go to Washington, D.C. My dad worked for, Orville Freeman, who was governor at the time and became secretary of agriculture under Kennedy and Johnson. And uh, I spent the rest of my time then in kind of a split personality, spending all summer with my grandparents on the farm and my school year in uh, Bethesda, Maryland and Washington, D.C. So I had this urban-rural experience my entire life, and um, that's really, I think, translating into what we're trying to do today. Hmm. And, and we should mention that, by the way. What are we doing today? Thriving by design. Yes. Now, I should explain that the the hunt, there's there's a series of partnerships. It's kind of a, a, a maze. If we had a diagram, it would <laughs> confuse Einstein. But we have, uh, Jane, you're, you're running Growth and Justice. Correct. And you're collaborating with Brett and OneMin.org. Yes. Yep. So yes. How, did, how did that come about? You know, the, it's the age of the Internet. Um, I, I <laughs> so came on. you have on... a computer? <laughs> <laughs> we we do have computers, yeah. Um, I became president of Growth and Justice in January of this year. And uh, a long time ago, I had uh, acquired the URL oneminnesota.org. And um, in thinking about putting on this gathering, uh, and we needed to set a legislative agenda for Growth and Justice, um, I just went out to the internet and saw, well, who else has one Minnesota.org? And Brett did at one MN.org. And mm-hmm. so I, I think I emailed you first and yeah. then we we talked. Yeah. So you didn't have a battle about domains? No. No well, our, ours, ours actually, and quick commercial here, I guess, www.1MN, so the um, letters MN.org. Um, um, officially, we are one Minnesota.org, um, as listed by the Secretary of State and the Fed, uh, IRS crew. But, yeah, no, we're, we're a little different. So it was just serendipitous that it happened. I, I, you know, I, I have to believe there's the universe is working in wonderful and mysterious ways. And we are all here together, and I'm just thrilled. And, and Brett and I have become fast friends, and I'm just grateful for uh, the trust that we have. And that we're we're doing something pretty wild and crazy and wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think it's got to be optimistic because 
if you look at the electoral map, there is no one men. There's there's like uh, ur- the urban areas are what blue. I get the colors confused. Which side is which? You know, ah, like you know colors are colors. <laughs> so so okay. The 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 uh, uh, urban areas are tend to be Democrat, and the rural areas tend to be Republican. I mean that's a generalization, but the thing is, it's kind of hard and fast. So how do you how do you say one men? Is it going to be purple? <laughs> well, the simple fact is that we still live in 87 counties across the states. We still have this uh, amazing um, diversity of environments uh, that we all share. And, um, you know, we're looking at it from that perspective. Um, we're, we're excited about bringing Minnesotans from different perspectives to discuss some key issues that can actually help everybody racially, regionally, gender, social, you name it. We're going to try to solve for it. But to be as aggressive in that approach to ensure we're not trying to retread too much, but we are trying to move society forward and challenge our um, elected officials and um, appointed leaders to do the best, going back to what we used to do in Minnesota, Mm -hmm. really start to tread new ground. I think it used to be an old idea in politics that you served everyone, and that seems to be evaporating a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, Myrta, have you traveled much to uh, beyond the metro area? Have you yes, to- definitely, because the work we do, we try to provide legal advice to not only the metro area, uh, rural areas as well. We were in uh, with the Leech Lake uh, Native American tribe up there. We are in Mankato. We are also... Uh, in Rochester and trying to connect some other rural areas through different agencies. For example, we work with the Mexican Council and they travel ev- to every other community that is far away from the metro area. So we we partner with these organizations and we reach them. So right now, for example, St. Cloud is also another of our base, uh, base um, places of work. Um, and how we work is through clinics. So we create a uh, brief advice clinic is how we call it, where you can meet with a lawyer. And we provide there the legal advice, but also we are trying to bring some educational and informative, uh, important information that the community could have to develop to develop their own business. So, yes, it's, that's in Minnesota. And then definitely I travel. I, I like to travel a lot. I like to explore. I mean, I have that in my in my set of mine, and I went to different other states, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and I'm trying to do the 50 states <laughs> eventually. Have, have you ever been to the Upper Sioux Reservation just outside of Granite Falls? No. that's We're going to have that nice opportunity now, what, I think. What's going on there? This is the, the big secret here. This is the, what um, kind of what we're gathered here to talk about a big event, a conference, three-day conference at the Upper Sioux Reservation. Jane, do you know anything about this? I know a little bit about it. <laughs> um, it's it's really a kickoff. We'll, we'll get that up front to a, a six-month process to create the One Minnesota Equity Blueprint. And so we are gathering people from across the state, rural, urban, suburban. Uh, we're trying to get people from every state senate district and all 11 nations, uh, native nations. And we uh, picked... Upper Sioux community in part because we wanted to be in a smaller town, uh, to, particularly to get people um, who hadn't been out to greater Minnesota to, to, to be participating or, or experiencing that. And um, that entire area of southwestern Minnesota is really 
on the move and actually very forward thinking about inclusion, welcoming. Uh, they've done a lot of work on uh, entrepreneurship, uh, as, as you mentioned, um, the uh, immigrant entrepreneur, microenterprise. Um, they're doing a lot of work with childcare and they're just, we wanted people to see that um, besides the Twin Cities, which everybody hears about, um, there is so much going on in greater Minnesota that we all can learn from and uh, people can learn from each other. And so the the gathering is um, a way to kind of help get everybody a little up to speed on what's happening across the state and the, the very <coughs> the, excuse me the various issues and and concerns right, that people have right right yeah and then uh you know we're having Susan Brower the state demographer come and do an overview of both the sort of demographic and economic trends um Craig Helmstetter from the uh, American Public Media Research Lab uh, and their ground level survey is going to give his overview from all of that research that they've been doing. Um, and we've got Dr. Bruce Corey. I'll let uh, Brett talk a little bit about Dr. Corey um, and the shared sustainable prosperity model. We're, we're just trying to get um, all of us as a family, if you will, uh, um, uh, informed about what's happening to our home um, and then work together to make some things happen to make sure that everybody, um, it, that it's working for everybody. So. Bruce Corey, who's he? Uh, Dr. Bruce Corey, I'm currently on leave from Concordia University as a um, vice president, um, is now the director of economic development in St. Paul for Melvin Carter. Part of the new brain trust over there. Yes, yes. It's a, it's a very unique team, and they're doing some amazing and groundbreaking work from a municipality. Um, but also my um, business partner on hiatus, um, now that he is oh, now Bruce? serving for the um, – Serving for um, um, the government, and now, as I call him, the man, and I get to scream at him <laughs> when certain things don't take place. But, um, you know, he has this great model that he's using in St. Paul and that we do use with 1MN um, uh, called the Shared Sustainable uh, Prosperity Model, which basically brings people together, looks at the data, ele- elevates the assets of the community. Um, and tries to create the necessary deals and accountability pieces to uh, see prosperity. Well, it sounds like you're working with the system. We are working within with? and outside, oh, yes. I would within say. And without. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. you're kind of a grassroots. You, you, you don't begin your studies in some legislative committee. Correct. You begin with, out there. With and, the people. Yes. With the people. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. So that's yep. something, I don't know, is that done much? <laughs> well, I'll I'll just speak from Growth and Justice's point of view. Um, you know, we are known as a think tank, a policy, a real think tank, a, a or real, just the think tank uh, of the air. But you're, <laughs> there you go. That's right. You're in Congress. Um, why it works, man? Yeah, and, <laughs> and one of the things that we've always uh, honored is going outside of our own brains, uh, our own ideas to to get ideas from people who actually live in the places that are going to be affected by whatever mm-hmm. is happening. And I've always uh, thought that way because I'm a community development person, uh, not only in heart, but also in my professional work. And um, we don't do anything without, uh, you know, working in and with uh, the community first. Um, so we don't want to impose anything. And, and this is all about uh getting insights from everyone like like Murta um, and, you know, from all the perspectives and all the wisdom that we all hold and we just don't get a chance to share it. Um, well, and, yeah. Well, Murta, I mean, you've 
grew up in Peru. You yeah. went to India for your life-changing uh, uh, yeah. transformation. Um, <laughs> India. Right. Well, so did you do see much of that uh, grassroots efforts where it bubbled up from the ground and then uh, got presented to the government as a policy proposal? I will see, that I think is the best way. I mean, uh, we do very small work. I mean, I, I cannot tell that I am wise. I am 33 years old. I am. I have two years in Minnesota. But my work basically in legal courts uh, is teaching me that, we, as you say, we cannot impose models. Uh, people cannot be told uh, what to do because everybody, especially the immigrant communities, came with a different perspective. Each one, each, each community. It's even you cannot create a model for the communities of color. That, to be honest, for me, is like communities of color is like no, they should be communities. They are not. It's not different. You know, there is no different colors there. Um, and they can they they have a lot to share, a lot of wisdom, a lot of background on how to do things, business, how to interact with society. And taking that from the ground and creating something that can be positive for them and for also for everybody is the best way, I think. I mean, right now, I can tell how many things change because this this administration, people is so afraid of what they should do, why they should, shouldn't do. They don't feel welcome. So it's uh, it, it, I, I, I can't wait to be in this meeting. <laughs> to talk about and listen to, to about all these topics on. because it's, yes, I think it's very, very interesting and well, exciting. It sounds like your job is, is doing the same thing. It's the interface between people and the law. Mm. Exactly. So you're trying to change the law. You're trying to let them know what, what they can do and can't do in their entrepreneurship journey. Yes. Basically, my I feel like I am like uh, the connection between two systems, the community and the and the and the traditional system, they both don't understand too easily. So I try to adapt to both, and it's a skill that I learned because, well, I put myself in situations that taught me how to adapt to different situations, and I can see some of the barriers that each part, each side has, and I try to bring them together because you have the community that say why. The system works as it works. And I need to tell them, this is not going to change. Those are the rules. You need to follow the rules. And then the traditional system tells me why they don't understand that this is the way. And I need to tell them, maybe because we are not communicating it in a better way, or we could take another path or another option. So it's challenging. It's every day. That's my work every day. And But I enjoy it a lot because I'm learning. I am learning from almost five different communities from around the world in one state. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're all going to be learning, and, and especially um, uh, Mirta and myself, we're going to be delegates to this conference mm -hmm. in uh, the Upper Sioux Reservation. So I'm kind of going because I like, uh, I'm just basically curious. I've been a journalist most of my life, mm -hmm. and I like to go out and see things. The last time I went out uh, around the state was when I worked for in the administration of uh, Governor Jesse Ventura. Mm. So Lieutenant Governor May Shunk, Wanted to visit every school district in the state. I remember that. I didn't make it on all those journeys, but I made it to about 200. And there was a lot of a uh, lot of problems going on in small towns mm -hmm. because the bigger hubs would expand, and so your lawyers and doctors would move to the bigger hubs. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you had no professionals on the school board, 
And then you had the schools running out of kids, and so they had to consolidate. And so that led to people not wanting to move to that town. You're listening to Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We're here with Jane Leonard from Goat and Justice, Brett Buckner with OneMin.org, and Mirta Montoya with Legal Corps. Synapse Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back with uh, Synapse Think Tank of the Air. And it's what irony, we're here with a real think tank person. <laughs> now, Jane Leonard, you run Growth and Justice. I mean, Growth and Justice, is it apolitical? Yes, I would say that it is you, a... You paused there I for a second. I did pause. I mean, it, it just depends on, on your definitions of certain words. I mean, Growth? We, well, Growth and Justice is our, our name and it's our value. Uh, we are there to support business growth, economic inclusion, um, and social justice. So sometimes those are seen as distinct things. And what we are trying to say is that they go right together. Um, And in particular for this gathering that we're uh, doing next in two weeks, oh my gosh, it's two weeks. um, (laughs) Start packing. (laughs) Start packing. Um, We uh, see after studying and talking and uh, all, all sorts of things and just our own belief system that uh, equity is the superior growth model and um, diversity is strength. And I, I know you were asking us about the idea of one Minnesota and are we sort of trying to homogenize things. Furthest thing from from the truth of, of that, um, we I, th- I think all of us, and I'm not going to include Myrta because I don't know her quite yet, but uh, I think both Brett and I, share the idea that there's a spirit of one Minnesota, that we all share this home. Um, we really honor diversity, um, and we want to build on that diversity to have economies and communities that work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's probably one of the things that's been happening in the last 20 years, a greater diversity uh, throughout the, the small towns and cities in Minnesota for uh, for Definitely. work, I, I presume. I know they have the meatpacking plants in some some cities in Austin, the, Austin elsewhere. The, the Marvin Windows, the I mean, all all sorts of businesses are depending on um, existing talent and new talent. So, I mean, this it's the simple thing of in Western Minnesota specifically, um, most of those towns were struggling um, until the influx of. Um, uh, citizens, residents from across the globe. And what we, from 1MN.org standpoint, um, again, Dr. Corey's um, um, group came together about 17 years ago with the Ventura um, push um, around the economic conversation, really started to aggregate the numbers for um, communities of color and telling the full story. But it was the um, influx of... um, New Minnesotans to Western Minnesota that basically saved Western Minnesota in the grand scheme of things. And we'll hear more of those stories when we get to um, Granite Falls. What we are trying to point out over the next five years, since we do sunsets, our organization sunsets in um, December 31st, 2022. So we're pushing very hard to make things happen to remind people Minnesota does not grow without our new Minnesotans, period. And 
that we're not just to be at the table. We're not. We're going to be part of building the table. We're going to be a part of saying where the table moves to, how it's going to work from that point on, and that it's actually in the best interest of everybody to make sure that we actually have it. Minnesota has, well, the metropolitan area has close to 100,000 jobs that need to be filled by 2020, and we are woefully short in getting that done. It's going to take the um, our people from across the country and across the globe in order to make sure our economy continues on. Hmm. So that's where one immense um, point is. Um, we are um, – we're not a we're we're political. We just don't take sides. <laughs> <laughs> not not as an organization, but. as an organization. But we but. do have um, one of our major um, components of our operations is um, our civic and um, democracy engagement activities, mm-hmm. where we actually do um, aggressive voter engagement and education program, and then also mobilization through mm-hmm. our program called Color the Vote. So we make sure that people understand that their vote is not just power, but is literally life right now. Hmm. And, Makes a big difference in your future. You mentioned Bruce yeah. Corey. Now, he's from India, so he's he he's an immigrant. He's a, yes. a new Minnesotan. And uh, what I like about his modus operandi, mm-hmm. he's an economist. Mm-hmm. So he collected all the numbers for the value that the immigrants added to the community. Mm-hmm. So when people say, hey, they're a drain on our economy, he can say, well, no, they're not. Here are the numbers. Mm-hmm. Do numbers convince everybody, or there's, there seems to be kind of a strong emotional component to the anti-immigrant uh, feelings? It's a great question. Um, but from our standpoint, we know that we have changed minds and direction when we do use the numbers, the facts. That, um, that quite honestly, it's not even so much those coming from across the globe, those who are already here, um, that the, the added value not just the added value, the base at times of our financial well-being as um, as Minnesotans. So it's it's we're going to continue to remind um, all municipalities in the state that if you take out um, certain populations, we stall. Period. We are blessed with nineteen Fortune fives, you know, here in the in the state of Minnesota, and that's great. But most of our work is done in, you know, Main Street, Minnesota, and that, you know, the meat part, packing plants and the, you know, smaller, you know, shops and everything else that we all have a part in and that we all definitely share um, pride in seeing it get better. And we're just trying to figure out how we can actually build a little stronger together. Hmm. So a lot of it. It used to be just migrant farmers coming up to help uh, put the crops away, and that was needed too. And and um, uh, when you talk, I think to some of the business owners that employ immigrants, they're all for more immigrants. Yeah. But then you get to the townspeople, or you know, just people in and anywhere in the neighborhood, there's kind of a sense of fear that's been propagated uh, that these people are somehow dangerous, and they don't see the good side. So for the numbers. Your your main uh, approach is to the uh, let's see it's my time to wake up. Uh-huh. Your your main approach is to then take findings from your work in uh, outside of Granite Falls, mm-hmm. have people meet in their communities, and then build some proposals. And those go to what to the governor. Now, let's uh, is the governor <laughs> supposedly someone that looks at the Wh- numbers? Whoever that will be. Whoever that will be. be. Yeah, I, you know we we have talked about the process being that coming out of this gathering in Upper Sioux Community in Granite Falls, um, we will have an outline 
of a blueprint and delegates like Myrta and you, Steve, will have committed to uh, helping to co-host a, a community meeting uh, to get more input from wherever you you live, so, um, so we don't do a we don't pick a small town somewhere. We go to our own neighborhood. You go to your own neighborhood, right? Because you local. you are right. Okay. You, you are loved there. Hopefully, <laughs> um, we hope so. If I, if I yeah. go to the right bar, I can attract okay. a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Love it. We'll that's, be there. That's fine. We'll be there. Yep. Um, so then I ask them questions about what they think about X, Y, and Z. Well, well, we're all going to work together on continuing to build that blueprint. We, we're hoping that okay. we can bug you with emails and conference calls, and you know, maybe a, a few meetings here and there between uh, the time that we all say goodbye in in uh, Upper Sioux community and and head to our respective communities, and and the fall when we're looking to do these community meetings in September and October. Um, and, uh, and as you asked, you know, you're going to give this to the governor. Well, yes, that, you know, whoever the governor is, we are going to pass this along to the governor and to the legislators, but we also want to pass it back to our communities. There's so many resources in Minnesota and yet we tend to fragment them. And so if we can get people to align what they already have, Mm -hmm. I think we're going to be so much stronger. And so it really is all of us. I mean, I I take to heart, you know, the we, the people, um, that, that we all have to, to play a role here. Um, that's the right and responsibility of, of us as residents. Um, and, uh, we, we want to engage not only in our local communities, but in our shared community of Minnesota. Mm. Well, Mirta, you've been so fortunate in that you've seen so many different kinds of people. You can see, you can see the commonality. Yes, I can see the commonality. It's at least for my eyes, uh, it, it are basic things that are similar everywhere. How we put them in words, in or how we communicate them is different. And unfortunately, and it's something that is the first time I see in my life is the fear of a community about the. The things that are different, no bad, no good, different. But that fear is what I think is stopping Minnesota. I mean, I do it in the most respectful way. Minnesota welcomes me so nicely and everything, but that's something that is not good in, in in that part because this is a place that is so diverse. I compare, many people ask me, how is Minnesota? And I tell them, imagine Queens from New York, in New York, this neighborhood that you can find a great restaurant, a Latino restaurant, uh, East African restaurant, Mediterranean food. Everybody, you can see different different um, ethnicities, languages, but still you don't feel that is that welcoming area that everybody feels comfortable to speak their language, to walk with their own way to walk, to, or to be their yourself. So because there are some barriers that even me, I am still learning yeah. Well, there's a thing in Minnesota called Minnesota Nice. Ah, yeah. And there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different uh, um, uh, reactions to what that actually means. Is it is it are, are people really nice, or are they just passive aggressive, avoiding any confrontation? And then um, the the etymology of nice. I'm a word nerd, so the etymology of nice actually nice is shortened from nescience. Mm. So it means not shunt. In other words, unconscious. So a nice person used to be an unconscious person that used to bring up ridiculous things in the middle of a conversation, <laughs> like non sequiturs. You're so nescient, you know. And yeah. that, that yeah. became the word nice. Uh, and then yeah, over time, the craftsman 
would work on these things, and they'd pay attention to little details that no one else would pay attention to. So they were kind of off the, the mainstream there, and they would say, oh, nice work. Mm-hmm. And so then it became a positive. Yeah. But I often wonder, are Minnesota, is Minnesota nice maybe have both those? Uh, they're they're, they're I, gentle and oblivious at the same yeah. time. I had that experience. The first year I was here, I was like, oh, my God, this is the best place in earth. You go to the street, everything is in order, organized. People open the door for you. They say, good morning. The bus driver tells me how I am doing. That's incredible. <laughs> and then I... Second, the, 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 at the end of that year, I was trying to do Minnesota and friends because if you are so nice with me, okay, I'm, I am Latina. I am like, yeah, let's be nice. Let's talk. And then, no, <laughs> it was, uh, I stopped like, no, until here. And that's what many other, commu- many other communities tell me, you know, it's that difficult interaction. Uh, but it, the good thing is it's a welcoming environment. And I take that as a positive thing. It's polite. Is welcoming, is respectful, especially in Minneapolis, with all these, you know, uh, progressive um, perspectives. Uh, could be worse. There are some other areas in the states. That That's are... a good Minnesota attitude. <laughs> it, it could be worse. <laughs> but, it's along there with. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I see the potential there, and and yeah, that's my experience. Hmm. And um, well. We know your organizations are apolitical, but Brett, I happen to know you're kind of an insider for one of the uh, political sides. Um, it's blue. It's blue. And <laughs> can you give us a brief summary? What the heck is going on in, in, in the political races for, for governor these days and maybe even attorney general and Congress? What, can, you, can you sum it up if you have it clear in your brain? Well, it's, it's, it's personal aspirations. It's opportunity. It's... Okay, name names. No. You're not going to talk about the people? No, you never do that. But what uh, you do... Well, just tell us who's running. I mean, well, I, well that, I can, that I can share because okay. that's pretty much public knowledge. And, you know, Secretary of State has that information. So we're good there. Uh, Stay there. Um, reticence. Uh, oh, no, it's just, just, just uh, how would I call this? Uh, smart. Um, okay. Um, you know, knowing that, you know, there's friends across the board and we're, we're excited. It'll be a robust conversation. Quite honestly, there's... Everybody wants to make things nice and neat as it relates to be relates to democracy, small d um, conversations, and and quite honestly, it's not. We need a robust conversation right now. We need people to really point out why that the party that a party is just a group of individuals who believe that this individual represents their point of view, and that's who they're pointing pointing out. That should not limit the conversation and limit individuals to join it on and to have a primary process to really vet out who's going to lead our state for the next four years to answer some very big questions of how you're going to include um, individuals um, of all walks of life and to think creatively about the economy in this God knows what this is right now. Um, we're, we're down the rabbit hole and we took a right even. Um, that we're going to need some very, very talented individuals to lead that charge. So at, at the governor's level, we, we do have an endorsed candidate for um, um, Team Blue. Um, I won't use the party names, but, yeah, Team Blue. Um, with Erin Murphy, um, had a chance to speak with her on our podcast yesterday, Politics and Hip Hop, actually. Um, um, and she's 
revved up, ready to go. But there's some other talented individuals, Congressman Tim Walls, you know, um, as well as um, um, the current um, Attorney General, Lori Swanson, um, whose running mate is Congressman Rick Nolan. Um, so who, you, who's leaving from who's from, leave, who's leaving, from up in the Duluth area? Yeah, and, then, and, and then then you have your Attorney General piece with um, Congressman Keith Ellis. So literally, the the you know we have three sitting Congress people leaving their positions to run for state opportunities, and it's a know, cross between dominoes and musical chairs. Well, that's what it, it caused a great little carousel, and um, you know, but there's uh, there'll be a robust conversation there. Deb, Deb Hillstrom is now running. Um, for the AG seat as well, Mike Rothman, the current, oh, former com- um, commissioner of um, commerce. Commerce. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I want to call him former. I thought he was still there. Um, and um, um, Tom Foley, who was the former county attorney for Ramsey. So, I mean, we have a very, very great lineup on the on the blue side. On, and on the red side, you know, Jeff Johnson and um, Tim Pawlenty are going to be going at it, which is a – it's going to be a very, very, very interesting fight about which direction this that community goes. Mm-hmm. Tim Pawlenty has the money, so he doesn't have to worry about the party infrastructure, and he has 100% name recognition across the state. I've heard of him. Yeah. I, I've met him once, I think. Oh, I've, I've met him, and I've actually worked with some of his staff people, and they're fine people. Um, we do remind people that the last time that Minnesota was actually in a lurch as it related to our financial situations – well, there was a guy named Plenty that was the governor. So I'm not going to put two and two together, but I'm just going to say four and go from there. So um, You're cagey, aren't you, Brett? I am uh, operative, and I am proud of it. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, this is about the future of Minnesota and how we're going to really pull people together and, and, and move forward and not try to go back. Hmm. Well, uh, it's – Talking about the interface between the people and reality and the laws, it's kind of like that in politics when you have a platform that's rigid and so that such things as a litmus test can qualify you or deny you from from stepping forward. I remember I used to cover the uh, state political conventions and Norm Coleman gave a long address when he was a Democrat going on and on about how he was a Democrat. He listed things, he listed things, and then... um, no applause, no thundering applause, no, uh, you know, hey, we love you, Norm. And so then, then he left. So it's, <laughs> he didn't quite fit the uh, the standards. Didn't yet. didn't didn't get the love from the people. No, not so, on that one. Anyway, we're we're here talking about a, a big grassroots adventure going to take place in the uh, Upper Sioux Reservation in two weeks from today, mm-hmm. the, the last few days of of uh, June, and uh, we're all here together. Uh, Mirta Montoya and I will be delegates and. Kind of go on that adventure like a big yeah. camp out. Is that, it, that's it how is. I see it. And then uh, Brett Buckner is here with OneMin.org, who had a, who who avoided a fight over his website domain name with with uh, Jane Leonard from <laughs> no Wealth fight. and Justice. There was going to be there no was, fight. There was so no fight. This is such a nonviolent uh, uh, opportunity. Let's see if we can maintain. We're just this. glad to find each other. Exactly. If we can yeah. maintain this calm and peace and dignity over the break, we'll be right back. Synapse, Think Tank of the Air. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back with Synapse, Think Tank of the Air, with some real think tank people. And some people, even if you're... Is OneMin.org, is that a think tank? Technically it is. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and but 
But uh, Mirta, Legal Corps is not a think tank, it's a service. No, it's a non-profit organization, so it's a service. We provide legal advice services based in the pro bono work of private lawyers. So, so you take real lawyers. We have a, around 500 lawyers from different private firms, Dorsey, 3M, Best Buy, Target, wow. that they provide pro bono work to the community. Actually, they are... They are uh, it's something that they have to do every year, 50 hours of pro bono work. Mm-hmm. That's what the Minnesota oh, Bar Association Oh, part of the legal calls. ethics. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they choose. They have a variety of, of options, and some of them choose to they work with us and, and help develop businesses, uh, help the inventors, and also other nonprofits. Hmm. So we match with them. We take the clients. We help them, and, and that's more, by, more or less what I do. And my program especially works with the communities of color in Minnesota. Now, are you an attorney? I am an attorney in Peru. Oh, in uh, Peru. In Peru. Uh, I need to do that. <laughs> Eventually, I have to be one here. I am taking all the process that it uh, takes to become an attorney here in the States. What's the biggest difference between law in Peru and oh, the U.S.? Wow. It's a big one. <laughs> we have in Peru the civil law system, and here you have the commonwealth system. What's your system? The civil law. Civil law. Yeah. Civil law. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and it's very different. It's basically we have codes for everything. The regulations are based in codes and paper documents. And here you have the judge and the jury who decide most of the things. And, of course, the administration with some regulations. Um, so it's very different. But, yeah, I am. Uh, you have to I, learn both. I learned, I have to learn both. Yeah, I am now learning the American system, hmm. Commonwealth system. Wow, I'd, I'd like to understand the American system someday. <laughs> I have so too. <laughs> there's, there's so much going on, and you wonder, why did that happen? And, and one of the things that puzzles me is that there's people that, that say you must obey the law every time, and, and it's like the law is God. Mm-hmm. And then, But we know throughout history, some of these laws are terrible, <laughs> and kind of to obey them, it's it's being unethical, really. I mean, that's why the whole thing is... You know, I'll be governed by my conscience, not by what it says. You know, the old, uh, what was it, Thoreau and, and Emerson, mm-hmm. civil disobedience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always kind of an asterisk. This is the law so far, and then who knows. But then you have the Constitution. That can even be changed. They're talking about a uh, maybe a, what, a constitutional convention? We're Agreed? trying not to hear that too often. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 all right, so let me throw on my other hat. My, um. Your constitutional analysis hat? Or, or um, chair of Common Cause Minnesota. Um, and we're, we deal with the issue of democracy, um, national organization. I'm the state chair of the advisory committee and um, responsible for those conversations here. Um, and having that constitutional convention conversation absolutely grinds my gears at this moment in time. Why? Well, it's simply if... Does the Constitution need to be updated to the needs uh, and trajectory of the society? Yes. Are we in a place for that to take for that to happen um, that is actually going to be fair and just for all? No. And that well, climate. Why? Well, if you look at the political divide right now, first and foremost, to have a constitutional convention, you have to have two thirds of the states. Um, um, at the state legislature, so it doesn't even need the governor's signature or anything like that to approve 
um, that they are requesting this constitutional convention. Scholars on one side say it's a very narrow approach. On uh, For others, they say once you call it, the doors are open. So in this current environment, you have a major push by certain um, entities that would Now like that's to see. another uh, kind of <laughs> entities that's so vague. You know, to be. My, my clipboard is an entity. Yes, it is. And um, it probably is calling for a constitutional convention. <laughs> Um, hold it close. <laughs> um, for by by those who would like to see um, the balanced budget um, amendment ratified in the Constitution, which would really put a hindrance on the way that the United States government actually functions. But it's done to, as I would say, limit the potential growth and opportunity for all to participate in the government. That's one. But it also would do things such as really cement and things that are detrimental, such as gun rights and abortion and all those other key pieces that have been asked and answered through the through currently the proper channels. But what if they had a system like the one you're using where you hold these small town conventions, these conferences and get the grassroots input and then it kind of rises from the bottom that way? Is that how would that work? Would you accept a constitutional convention that was approved on those grounds? I would like for Congress to do its job. That's an evasive answer. <laughs> that is the correct answer at this point. Is it? it? I would like for Congress to do the job that is currently that uh, under the current set of laws, and it has the tools to be able to do it. The question is, is who do they shill for? Hmm. At times, and it's both sides. Let me be very clear about that: that you have individuals that want to see America done in a way that is definitely exclusionary than more inclusionary hmm. as more punitive than it is actually progressive or uh, promoting. And unfortunately, so, so instead of we, the people, it's some of the people, it's me, <laughs> it's me, myself and I, hmm. and the rest of y'all can fly a kite. Hmm. And you know, the reality is, is that Congress has the tools and the abilities, but they did not do it. I, I just look at one major thing that a lot of people just kind of, you know, I, I don't know why we're just accepting it. Congress, the Senate, did not do its job in um, giving Justice um, Garland a hearing. Qualified, um, nominated by the president. Senate has its responsibility to do it, but what they did was they took a political, highly political and very dangerous move on the grand scheme of things to not hear you know, Justice Garland's um, record and to be able to give him his just due. Mm-hmm. Well, and, the, and moved on the, from there. The way I would see that, you know, I've seen so much now. I'm old. <laughs> so you get you get cynical. You look at these things and you, you start out as an idealist, an optimist. Um, Jane, how, are, you seem like you're still an optimist. I how, am, how and I'm you, old too. How do, I know. I, that's why I'm kind of <laughs> jealous. I'm looking you, at our gray hair together you, here. You have a cause. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and how do you maintain that idealism in the face of reality? Well, it's in my nature, um, but I also think it's it's the best choice. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, let's let's go forward, as Brett and Marta have said. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yes, many terrible things have happened in in the in our our history, and and we are here today, and we have the ability if we pull together to make changes that will propel us forward into a century that. I would love to consider the community century mm-hmm. uh, because community is that pathway forward. Um, and we've talked about this a lot with the gathering that, um, and 
to some it seems a bit trite, but, you know, there is a lot of fear, as you yeah. said, Murta, out there. Um, and there's this ability of certain people to say there's scarcity and we have to hold on to, you know, what we have and not share. And we are taking the high road of saying there's abundance and we can create more abundance if we are welcoming of of the people that, that are populating this planet now. Grow more wealth. Exactly. Grow more wealth, yeah. I think that the, the growing and the immigration is not going to stop. No. I mean, the fear is not going to stop people coming to Minnesota. Minnesota is well known and the rankings say tell can tell you that it's one of the best states to live, to have a to have to afford a house, to afford a job, and to have to feel secure. So this is I mean, it's a reality and I think that there is so much potential and so many good things in diversity that is only that we need to change I even don't say to change, to communicate them and to let them know to the people uh, that it's good, it's not bad. Not, nobody's going to take things from them. It's just how the world is changing. It's mm. everywhere. It's not only here in Minnesota, it's everywhere. Well, I was working on a project recently uh, with Rondo, Rondo Plaza, mm-hmm. and they wanted to honor the newcomers. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was the editor for four plaques, and it's Somali, Oromo, Hmong, and uh, Karen. Mm-hmm. And the commonality, well, they're all refugees, but it's all th- there's the biggest congregations of those people in Minnesota than any other state. Right. So that's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. Why here? Why why would they come here? We are blessed with having pretty much the DNA to open the doors. I mean, if you think you think about how Minnesotans had to survive, even at the beginning of the territory and the state, it, you had to work together. You know, um, especially during the winters. Um, that you really had to understand that we were all in this together and put aside your differences in order to survive. You may not at times really be like gung-ho about your neighbor or whatever else, but your humanity, which I think Minnesota allows you to really experience, um, really kicks in. And we say we need to reach out to our, our fellow human beings and make things happen from there. And that once we understand each other's talents and, and ideas, we all want the same thing. We want a roof over our heads, something to provide our children a better future for, the chance to eat, the chance to, to grow and, and, and to really connect. It's not different. You can put different spins to it as relates to language, but it, we're all looking for the same thing. In Minnesota, I think for a long time we understood the conversation of abundance or at least shared um, prosperity. And we've gone away from that saying that, well, we have reducing school budgets. We have reducing resources to redo our roads and bridges and everything else. And that's not the case. I mean, when we look at the economics of the things, we are more prosperous mm-hmm. than we have ever been in our society. The problem is, is that it's going to few instead of the whole. And we have to do a better job. And that's policy that directs a good portion of it. Mm. But the people have to say exactly what are the actual needs and then go from there. There's well, a different the, One of the key words that seems to erupt in a lot of these conversations, it's not just racial or cultural. There's also, you know, blue, red. There's just a lack of trust. Yeah. It's like the reds don't trust the blues, the blues don't. I mean, how can you live when you fear even your fellow Minnesotans that are, you know, of Norwegian stock, and then, you know, I, I trust these Norwegians, but not those Norwegians. Well, what's amazing, and again, that's Jane, that's... that's John, are, you know, Jane, are you Norwegian? I'm uh, half Swedish. Okay. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. Close enough, yes, yes. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I remember in my early days, uh, because we are both old, Steve, uh, of working in- <laughs> Thanks, I needed to be I know, reminded. But, well, I'm, I'm embracing it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing it. Um, and uh, so in my early days of working around the state, um, as Myrta has described, I remember going into certain towns where there was a German Catholic church and a Polish Catholic church and a, some other kind of Catholic church yeah. in a very small town. And, you know, there were divisions by many things. Um, you know, there was the Swedish Lutheran Church and the Norwegian Lutheran Church. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think the divisions have been there. I think what is um, harder now is, as, as you pointed out, Brett, that we have a lot of resources and they seem to be clumping <laughs> into into one part of the population, perhaps, or one part of the income population, shall they're, we say. They're not dripping down. They're not trickling down. They're, well, yeah. what, what's the old adage that um, was always said? And um, the most divided time in America is eleven o'clock on Sunday, or something mm-hmm. of that nature. Right. And I mean, so I mean, we had we experienced in North Minneapolis. We have a significant African American population, significant Hmong population, significant at the time Jewish community, Native community, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, we're all going to our different. I mean, now we see it with our schools. You know, right. where I literally have seen and I. One of my favorite stories that I tell across the board when 20 kids from the neighborhood are right there, you know, playing with each other, you know, and just having a good time. And all of a sudden, four buses come in four different directions and <laughs> five go and, and, and you go from there. And, and you really have to ask yourself, how do you build trust when you don't have interaction? How do you build trust when differences is actually built up as opposed to your common strengths? So, our, you know, from one Minnesota standpoint is how do we create open, welcoming and connected communities to ensure that we have prosperity for all. Hmm. Well, community, there's another word that I know the etymology of. The, the com means together, but the mune, that's related to the word mutate, which mm. means to change. Mm. And so the idea of communication and community is to change together, to grow together. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. very optimistic. Yeah. But then it's also a euphemism. Uh, could you tell the people in your community to blah, 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 blah? Yeah. So it's 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 not always seen as that uh, broad, inclusive, positive thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If if I could just uh, point out one thing that we are going to do to kind of twist everybody's mind about boundaries and and uh, different kinds of communities, you'll see if you come to this grand adventure, as you said, Steve, that our our logo is actually based on the biomes of Minnesota. The the ways in which we have differing um, areas of the state, and it's unique in the whole North American continent that these biomes come together in Minnesota. And so, here in Minneapolis, for example, so we excuse sh- me, what's a biome? A biome is a unique uh, plant landscape, uh, call it flora and fauna area. Um, and so we all know it as the pines of northeastern Minnesota and the deciduous forest of our central region and the prairies of the west. And the raccoons of St. Paul. And the raccoons of St. Paul, which is a marvelous story. Brought the whole world into St. Paul. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. And, of course, you know, the raccoons don't care, you know, what county they live in. It's it's. Are, am I in the, the prairie or, you know, they're, they're usually in the deciduous forest. No. Eastside, yeah. Yeah. But, but this biome... Uh, is is something unique uh, to Minnesota in that that we share the coming together of these biomes across North America. Um, so we are stewards of a pretty special place. And what I like to point out to people is that those biomes aren't imposed on us 
like you know like municipal boundaries might be or county boundaries might be um they are they are natural um and they are always kind of mutating if you will um depending on on what's happening in the climate and so just getting people to start thinking about i share a lot here in minneapolis with people up in detroit lakes um, because we share that biome. Or I share a lot if I'm on the western side of the suburbs here in the Twin Cities with people out in Granite Falls because of the, the prairie starting right outside of, of our borders here in, in the Twin Cities. So so we're, we're trying to twist a little bit um, about how we see ourselves. And the other thing that we're having everybody do, and I, I think the two of you may have experienced it already, is taking the intercultural development inventory, which is an assessment of how... I haven't done that. Okay, well, make sure you do <laughs> if you're a delegate. Um, it's it's a way that you can kind of see where you are on a on a spectrum of cultural competence, intercultural mm. competence. And if we're incompetent, can we still go? Of course, <laughs> okay. That's even more so. Even more so. Yeah, <laughs> you need and that. You're not going to be called out, but there will be a kind of aggregate overview of you know who's in the room and. And um, it's well, a way to to start some conversations about how I perhaps as a you know white person of of quite some privilege um, think I'm relating to a person from Peru uh, who's here. Okay, um, we'll we'll find yeah. out in Granite we'll Falls. We're down to yeah. our last okay. minute. Okay, sorry. We're down yeah. to our last minute to end this conversation. Oh, it goes wow. so fast. Yeah. Um, so just a, your final word, just in like a sentence or less. Uh, what are you expecting out of the Granite Falls venture, the Gambit? Thriving by design. I'm expecting that people will get to know each other and start some lifelong connections that will be really important for that person and our state. Brett? New way of looking at old problems. New way of looking at, look, new way to find new solutions to old problems. Okay. Merta, what do you expect? I expect to find new ways to interconnect people. From different communities, I still I'm in the path of discovering how it can be, but I, I thought it was the, me was the only one thing having the same problem. But <laughs> I hope to find that. Okay, yeah. and 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 for my hope, I, I I hope to see how ideas can trickle up. That's mm. my gambit. Well, good. thanks for joining us here on Synapse uh, Think Tank of the Air. Uh, Jane Leonard from Growth and Justice, Brett Buckner from OneMin.org, Mirta Montoya from the Legal Corps. And, of course, our engineer, none of this could happen without Dan Cook. And this is a co-production with WCCO Radio. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Synapse. Think Tank of the Air. I'm Leo Espinosa. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.